Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Blog Talk Radio. afternoon here in the East Coast, West Coast. Good morning to you. This is Todd Waller with uh, Raise the Bar Radio and uh, my good friend and host, Mr. Michael McClure. You're, you're here with us too, aren't you, sir? I am, sir. Good, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you. It, as you were saying earlier in the screen room there, it is one of those beautiful days outside here in Plymouth, Michigan, isn't it? Yeah, and as I also just said, we have maybe five of these a winter where it's just absolutely perfect conditions, the totally blue sky. We had about 10 inches of snow that fell whenever that was uh, 30 hours ago. It's yep. all been cleaned up, and it's just pristine and picturesque. And uh, I'm sure you know we'll have maybe one more of these this year, and then we're uh, hopefully back into the spring season and, and can uh, just be glad that we survived another Michigan winter. <laughs> That's true. There's a ringing endorsement, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, as I've heard it often called, uh, actually often called recently, uh, Michigan's the the high five state, and today is truly one of those high five days. You know, blue skies, sun, and just beautiful blanket of snow out there. Although it is cold. <laughs> well, I, I have never heard it called that. Yeah, I, but I'll just, take your word for it. <laughs> I just last, last few months I've heard that uh, pick up there, so. New new one for me recently too. So, yeah. Well, well, let's got, um, quickly recap uh, what's happened since the last show. We had, yeah. as uh, those of you who listened last week, we had Stefan Swanepoel on, who, um, you know, industry giant, trends leader, observer, um, just all around great and brilliant guy. And he was talking about his um, his new book, Surviving Your Serengeti. And uh, for those of you who haven't purchased a copy yet, the link to that. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, in fact, Todd, if you wouldn't mind throwing this in the screen room and maybe tweeting it, sure. is uh, A-M-Z-N, again, A is in Apple, M is in Michael, Z is in Zebra, N is in Nancy, dot T-O slash skills book, spelled with two S's and no Z's. Um, great book. Todd and I have both reviewed it, um, read it, reviewed it, re- created video testimonials. It's just a great book. and. I'll stop there, but I would encourage anybody who hasn't checked that out to pre-order it on the Amazon link and check it out. Um, also, I think, I don't recall, yeah, we did mention this last week, but and we don't like to plug ourselves too often, but we, we meaning Professional One, appeared in the, the new issue of uh, Stefan's Swanepoel Trends Report, which just came out, and we're very proud of that, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Also, a real <laughs> quick shout-out to our good friend Chris Nichols, who many of you will know as um, at... Utah RE Pro on Twitter was featured in a WordPress, some sort of a WordPress professionalism section today and on a really nice blog post that he wrote. And I wanted to acknowledge him because he's a great guy, a really excellent blogger and a good friend. And then finally, I wanted to mention that we have some really exciting guests coming on next week. Two people that I met when I did the Agent Reboot Tour back in whenever it was, August of this past year, uh, Deborah Trapin and Linda Aaron, they are going to be on talking about their company, which is Coldwell Banker, Bain and Seal, which spans Seattle to Portland. And they have a big bar camp coming up uh, the first week of March, and they already have something like, I don't know what it was, 650 people signed up for yep. that, which I'm not a bar camp person. I have never even been to one, but it's my understanding that that's enormous for a bar camp. So we're going to be really excited to have them on and they're just really excellent human beings doing a great job leading their company and uh we'll we're sure we will be sure to learn a lot from them anything you wanted to add to that Todd I the only thing I wanted to add to it is that uh it, going back to something you said a little bit earlier we uh, did celebrate just a little bit last Wednesday uh with the other agents here at uh, Professional One about our mention and uh, it was a good time to uh kind of gather as a company if you will and uh collectively just kind of 
pat ourselves very briefly on the back and enjoy time um, with fellow colleagues here in, in uh, southeast Michigan. So it was a, a nice honor. Yeah, it was. And, uh, you know, to put it all in some perspective, today's guest, Matthew Shadbolt, mm-hmm. is a gentleman that I met at Inman Connect New York, and he and I shared a panel. I'll just tell this really quick backstory. Uh, he and I shared a, a panel uh, about social media and um, just a really fascinating guy, uh, very intelligent, very strong opinions. He is the, and I'm probably going to screw up the title, but I believe he's the social media director of the Corcoran Group, which is the largest uh, residential brokerage in Manhattan. And again, he'll, he'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I heard that they, they meaning the Corcoran Group, had $18 billion in sales in 2010 with an average price point of around $5 million, which those are staggering numbers. And I understand wow. that you know Manhattan is a pricey uh, real estate area, obviously, but nonetheless, those numbers just, I found, overwhelming. So it'll be interesting to hear what he has to say about that and how they, you know, what their secret to success and all that is. So without further ado, Todd, why don't you bring Matthew on? Excellent, excellent, Matthew. And and I have to agree with Mike here. Whenever I read your tweets, I now have an accent attached to them. Hi guys. <laughs> hey, Hello, <Matthew>. sir. <laughs> how are you today? Doing, uh, do, I'm doing great. I'm thrilled to be here with you guys. Well, it's an honor to have you, and uh, you were sharing with us that it's kind of a brutally cold day today in Manhattan, and you had the misfortune of having to be out in the in the elements a bit. Yeah, it's one of those uh, one of those classic uh, take your breath away because it's so cold coming down the uh, skyscraper canyons kind of days today. Uh, well, it's good that you're inside, and I hopefully hopefully you've warmed up now and ready to uh, to bring the noise on our show here. You were a dynamite. You were a dynamite uh, guest there at the Inman event when, as I just mentioned, you and I shared a stage, and I thought you were clearly a crowd favorite and very engaging. And you know, I immediately uh, reached out to you and asked if you'd come on the show because I just knew you'd be a fantastic guest. Trying to put as much pressure on you up front as I can. Am I succeeding? <laughs> very much so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in fact, before we before we get into the to the the questions that are more specific and relevant to the show. Why don't you, if you don't mind, tell the listeners a little bit about your background because I was fascinated. You know, you started telling me your career path when we were at the Google party there in New York, and uh, actually, I don't, you didn't, you weren't able to finish the story. So why don't you tell the listeners quickly your a thumbnail sketch of your resume that got you to your current position? Yeah, no problem. Um, I am a, a ten-year veteran of. Uh, QVC. Um, I started my career in, at QVC in London in their interactive department. And after five years of uh, home shopping in London, uh, I transferred to be uh, the head of the graphics department at QVC just outside of Philadelphia. So that's, that's how I came to move from, from England to the States. And then um, after, uh, after uh, five years of, uh, of home shopping um, in America, I decided to to make the transition to New York, and um, you know, decided to really kind of focus back in on what I always had really, really loved doing, which was making things that people use. Um, which wasn't always really the case if you have a career in television. You make a lot of things that people watch, but not necessarily a lot of things that people use. So what I wanted to get back to was a, was a, was to get into a position that um, was focused primarily on the web, but just on interactive in general. And I was fortunate enough to, um, to start chatting with uh, the folks here at Corcoran, and uh, a few interviews later, I, um, you know, I started here uh, back in 2006, and um, it's been it's been great so far. I mean, we get to work on a, a, a whole bunch of very very varied uh, interactive projects here. Um, my official title here is the director of interactive product and marketing, so I'm really responsible for anything that that touches the public uh, in a from a digital perspective. So. Um, primarily, that's uh, that's our website, Corker.com, but it also extends to um, mobile, social, uh, video, um, even things that we do locally here in the city, like interactive touchscreens in the back of taxi cabs, interactive billboards in Times Square, um, anything that sort of 
is public facing and um, and interactive. So that's that's really what I am currently kind of focused on here. Well, that really sounds like a fascinating job, and um, I, I believe you told me, and I'm, I'm only asking this from a human interest perspective, but didn't you also tell me that you had a, uh, a part of your career was in the music industry? Yeah, that's what actually brought me to New York. Um, I was the creative director at Music Choice, which are uh, those channels of digital music on your cable box, um, and oh, cool. we worked. We, yeah, we did a lot of work on uh, events and uh, uh, interactive TV. Um, the web, mobile, uh, all, all manner of you know creative projects that you could possibly think would would uh, would touch the music industry. Um, but like I said, you know, I really um, I really wanted to go back to to focusing on what I love best, which is which is the internet um, in in whatever form the internet takes. And what was the genesis of your interest and? Qualifications with regard to the, you know, quote the internet. How did you get into it? What skills did you learn? Do you have any specific training, or is it just a natural interest for you? Yeah, I, did. I have a master's degree in interactive design. Um, so I, I, I sort of come from a graphics perspective, graphics background, if you like. I did my master's in uh, in the Netherlands um, after studying my bachelor's in London, and so I'm sort of sort of a classically trained graphic designer. Um, originally but uh you know in the late 90s when i was at college uh, this thing people started to talk about this thing called the internet and uh, how it would start to connect computers together so you could talk to each other and uh, and share content so um my initial exposure to the internet was sort of via making uh things like cd roms and uh, sort of interactive dvds and and sort of disc based things and then that transitioned into um, uh, websites and other sort of forms of digital publishing. How did you end up going to uh, to school in the Netherlands? What what was the uh, the course that led you there? Um, well, I did. I have a, a, a bachelor's degree in art history, but um, what I what I always really loved was to to not only to write uh, about the kind of things that uh, that interested me in art history, but what I would do is make books. I would make books out of them. So um, this this initial idea of digital publishing has been with me for for some time. First as a first on sort of like a word processor that that spat out pages that uh, I, I think it was like two pages every hour or something like that. Um, yeah, very 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 slow in comparison. You would leave it sort of running overnight. Um, uh, but I was also was very interested in in how how you sort of start to build those things through the computer. So that became like an initial career in, in sort of print publishing. So I would learn things like Quark Express and, and things like that. Um, but I, I, was, I was always more interested in things that people could use rather than sort of, you know, um, uh, set things. So I've never really been a print guy, um, although I've worked with a lot of print-oriented people, and I continue to do that uh, to this day at Corcoran. Interesting. So um, tell us a little bit about Corcoran. You know, again, I was, you know, I'm totally clueless. I think real estate is very colloquial, and, you know, it tends to be, we we all tend to live in our own little bubbles wherever we do our, you know, do our business. And so, uh, obviously, I came into that Inman event not being that familiar with Corcoran, met you, which, of course, spurned my interest. So why don't you give the listeners a, a quick thumbnail about Corcoran and what it, what it's uh, unique selling proposition is or just anything you'd want the listeners to know about Corcoran? Sure. I mean, we're one of uh, Manhattan's largest residential brokerages, and we also have a, a very, very strong presence um, throughout Brooklyn and also in the east end of Long Island, basically uh, the Hamptons region, and also down in Palm Beach area of Florida. So those are the markets that we're in. Um, we are about 30 years old, and uh, our founder, uh, Barbara Corcoran continues to be uh, a fairly well-recognized national figure when it comes to uh, um, talking about real estate. Obviously, she's still on um, TV shows like the Today Show, for example. Um, but Barbara sold the, sold the company about 10 years ago, um, and um, a few years after that, the company uh, rebranded. Uh, and part of that rebranding was um, – 
to sort of overhaul the website and to completely kind of revamp what Corcoran was doing digitally. And that's about the same time that I came on here. Um, so a lot of people still associate us with, with Barbara, as they, as they rightfully should. But uh, Barbara is no longer, uh, you know, an active participant here, here at Corcoran. Um, so, you know, one of the things that really drew me to, to work here was that Corcoran has always been very, very supportive of um, its interactive projects, um, whether that's the website or any kind of like new technology or different ways of marketing or using, using kind of digital platforms to um, help its clients or extend its brand reach. Corcoran has always done that um, throughout its history. And obviously the pace of that is, is very much accelerating um, at the moment. So, you know, that's, that's really what drew me to Corcoran is, you know, this is somewhere where the kind of things that we're going to be working on are going to be very uh, innovative and encouraged and supported and, um, and, and, and genuinely a lot of fun. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very happy to say that that's absolutely true. That's awesome. And I would think, and again, this is pure speculation, so correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, one of the advantages of working in a, a market like Manhattan and the other areas that you mentioned, Palm Beach, the Hamptons, et cetera, and having some level of success is that probably provides some level of capital to fund the kind of things that a lot of real estate companies would like to do, but because the economy has been so horrific, you know, so many companies have gone out of business and or they're just skating by. I think there's a lot of companies that maybe kind of would like to move in the directions that Corcoran's moving but lack the funding to do so. So uh, if I'm right about that, you know, kudos to you and to Corcoran for, for being in a position to allow you to do those cool things. Um, um, and, yeah, and it, it's sort of true. I mean, you know, there's there's, there's no – like the kind of things that we're focused on right now, for example, like um, you know, like social media, for example, there's there's no real sort of heavy investment from a financial perspective going on there. Um, you know, so do we have sort of, you know, are, are we investing in social media in that in that sense that you're talking about? No, but are, are we doing a lot of work within those areas? Yes, absolutely. So I I. I I see what you mean, but it's you know the kind of things that we're focused on tend to be a little bit more earned than than bought. Well, I was referring to your seven-figure salary. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just a bad uh, yeah, attempt at humor yeah. there. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Forgive me. And and I should I should have asked you this question back when you said what led me to think of the question, and I wanted to congratulate you on, ha on having a master's degree. That's very impressive. I didn't know that. Um, one of the issues, and I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent, I just want your kind of a narrow opinion on this question as I'm going to ask it. Um, one of the issues that we've talked a lot about on this show is, you know, the, the name of the show is Raise the Bar, and a lot of that has to do with potentially altering the requirements and educational requirements, experience requirements, you know, ethics, whatever, uh, of the real estate industry at large. And because you said you have a master's degree, I, I want your opinion on this question, which is, do you think the barrier to entry in real estate in general should be raised, or should there be one at all, or are things fine just the way they are? Hmm. That's that's a good question. I mean, I can only I, I can't really speak to that from an agent perspective because I'm I'm not an agent. While I while I while I work with agents, you know, day in day out, that's not really, you know, I can't really speak to agent qualifications, but. You know, I think that um, one of the most important things is is a, a, level, a, a sort of aptitude for customer service, which isn't really something to do with education, but more to do with approach, I think. And, um, you know, one of the things that, that we're particularly focused on here, I, I guess it's not even really like a Corcoran thing, it's a New York thing, is the, is the quality of that customer service, the specific attention to detail, and the speed at which all of that happens. Things, things are very, very fast here in New York. Obviously, it's a, a stereotype, but uh, it, it, is, it is somewhat true um, that getting back to people <laughs> is a very important thing. Um, but, you know, in terms of educational requirements, I'm not sure that I can really speak to that. It's, it's, more, it's more how you work than how qualified you are, I, I think, is really what determines 
how successful you, how successful you are in real estate, whether that's on the agent side or, or not. Um, if if the, I hope I hope that makes sense. It does, and in fact, it. Um, I don't recall where I read this. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't recall where I read this, but I read this a couple of years ago that uh, the number one predictor of success in real estate from a characteristic perspective is tenacity. And, uh, you know, we could talk all day long as to whether there's any correlation between having the, the characteristic of tenacity and being, you know, more or less educated. And there's obviously exceptions to every rule. And, and again, I didn't want to get off on that tangent too much. I just was curious as to what your opinion was. And and even though you are correct, obviously, in saying that, you know, you don't, you're not an agent yourself, you have been a consumer of, you know, purchasing and selling homes, I assume. Um, and you probably have some, you know, image that you've created in your mind as to the overall caliber of agents in America. Um, so just, I'll just ask you that one final question on this line of questioning. Um, what's your perspective as a consumer in the real estate transactions that you've been party to in terms of the overall level of, you know, expertise and professionalism in real estate? Um, I think, I mean, we had a very, just personally speaking, we had a very, very um, smooth uh, home purchase when we, we when we bought our, our current home. And, um, you know, one of the things that I think is really, really important is that it's it's somebody that actually understands what you're going through. Um, whether that's whether that's the same thing as tenacity, I'm I'm not sure. But there's a, like a level of empathy and understanding and and ultimately patience that I think is really really important to that whole process from the client side. Um, and it's something that we really kind of. Um, really evangelize here at Corcoran is, is that, that level of understanding of the client that goes, it goes above and beyond just getting back to someone. It, it's, really, it's really almost sort of like connecting with them on a, on a you know, on a neighborhood, level. neighborhood and local expertise level. Yeah. I mean, of course, it's a personal level. It's one of the most stressful things you could ever do in your life is buy a home. And... Um, you know, certainly, certainly financially as well. It's, it's, um, you know, it's an enormous step for a lot of people, especially if you're a first-time buyer. So to have somebody guide you through that process, there's a, there's a lot that you invest in that one particular person in terms of their expertise and, and how they, how you perceive that they're going to help you. And, um, you know, I think that 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 level of service and that level of of just understanding is is a critical part of the transaction. Um, so if we're talking about you know things like agent ROI on things like that, I, I think that I think that it's, it's really really important that you work with somebody that is able to comfortably guide you through the process, not for, not comfortably for them, but comfortably for you as the client. Yeah, really well said, and obviously, yeah, I think, that, as you said, all of that, the word that I kept thinking of, and you did say it, is empathy, and I think that you're right. For most people, that really is a massive part of the process. So thank you for answering that. Um, so back to Corcoran more specifically, um, Corcoran has, you know, again, did I have that number right, by the way? Was it $18 billion in sales in 2010? It's, it's actually 13 in 2010. Gotcha. Still a giant number. So, what would be, in your opinion, what's the secret of Corcoran's success, and and how does it? What separates it from other Manhattan firms? I, I think I think one of the key differentiators um, for Corcoran, and and actually one of the one of the the main reasons that I really enjoy working here is is uh, is its brand. I think that's you know they really stand behind um, their brand here um, from an agent training perspective from a marketing perspective, from an IT perspective. It's one of those things that, 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 you know, it's very easy to characterize sort of brand direction within real estate companies as, as something that everybody sort of agrees on. But here, it, I would actually say it's actually very true. Um, and I don't mean just, you know, putting the logo on things. I, I mean more the philosophy of the brand. And you see it uh, go through... You know, like our social media efforts, for example, that uh, we have this brand premise. Uh, one part of that is that, you know, we believe that what is beyond the four walls of the apartment is just as important as the apartment itself. So you'll see us do a lot of, you know, what's nearby. 
things or things to do in the neighborhood. Um, food is like a big thing for us, so obviously, especially here in Manhattan and Brooklyn. Um, so this sort of like proximity of what's beyond the four walls is actually a really key differentiator for us. And, you know, one of the big differences in searching for real estate with Corcoran is that it's just as much a search for what is around the apartment as, a, as opposed to the apartment itself. So we believe that, um, you know, when you buy, um, when you, when you buy or rent a, um, you know, property, what is near the, that apartment is a very, very integral part of, um, part of the process. And while an agent can kind of guide you through that in a very, you know, sort of hyper-local and uh, experienced way, trying to translate that online is sort of what I'm basically um, accountable for. And, you know, I have, you and I have spoken about this in the past. I have very strong thoughts about the sort of poor state of, of online real estate. I think searching for homes is, is essentially still within kind of like a Google-type model where, where it's checkboxes and drop-downs and then pages and pages of search results. Now, that isn't customer service, I think. Um, it's like saying to someone, tell me how the market is doing and then be, being given an Excel spreadsheet. Um, you know, what, what, what the consumer, I believe, is more interested in is insight, advice, guidance, and um, to your phrase earlier, things that are more empathetic. Now, that seems to be the complete opposite to me of, of check boxes and drop downs and here's a thousand search results that matched your criteria, um, if, if that makes sense. It does, and, and it's interesting because I totally agree with what you said about, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll shorthand it by saying the neighborhood matters as much as the house. Um, I've been preaching that for years in my own company, which is, and as an agent well before that, in the sense that I've always believed that, you know, in, in our case, it's not really a neighborhood. It's more of a community or a town, but the town matters more than the house. And I've always been, you know, uh, perplexed by clients who would rather have a, you know, a specific physical home more than the the setting, the overall big picture setting that, you know, that, that will impact the quality of their life on a daily basis. So I, I think it's interesting that you stress that. I, I totally agree with you. Also, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I recall either having a conversation with you on Twitter or perhaps I was watching the interview that you did with Chris Smith, Tech Savvy Agent, which was very interesting. You know, you talked a little bit about the current state, or maybe not the current state, the, the historical state of branding in real estate in general. Would you mind weighing in on your thoughts there? Because I found them very interesting. Yeah, no no problem. Um, I, I Honestly, I'm not entirely sure there, there, there is a historical conversation about branding and real estate. It, I find it very difficult to, um, to understand the differences between a lot of um, national real estate brands. And I know that you guys have uh, sort of feel very passionate about this as well. I mean, I think I understand what the difference between a Zillow and a Trulia is, but um, I'm not sure I understand that at, at more of a brokerage kind of discussion. Um, now, within, within New York, we think that there are much clearer uh, distinctions between some of the brokerages here. And I don't know if that's the, uh, the island mentality that we have here on Manhattan. But, um, you know, when it comes to like the national kind of conversation about real estate brands, it's it's a little trickier because you know you get sort of like almost like a dilution of um, brand strategy at that kind of scale, which I think is really really interesting kind of conversation. Like, um, and you see you know you see national ad campaigns running for for some of the larger guys, and they're indistinguishable from each other. I, I think you know they they all seem to have like iconography with signs in the yard, for example. And, um, you know, it doesn't really seem to be about like, well, this is, we understand what it's like to live here or here's how we're going to help you. It's more like we have the best agents. And, and for me, that isn't really like a helpful message, but it, it seems to, it seems to be kind of like a common thread that it's, um, very often agent centered 
as opposed to actually consumer-centered from the branding side. And I think that's, that's a really interesting kind of conversation at the national level, but not something that we experience here locally in New York, I think. You know, well, Matthew, you, you hit the knit. I'm sorry, Todd, go ahead. No worries, no worries. Matthew, uh, as Mike is going to say, I'm sure, you, you hit the nail on the head to kind of buttress your point. Uh, I know 1000 Watt threw out a post today um, where they were consulting with a, a, a smaller brokerage firm, if I'm not mistaken, and they were talking about how to handle leads as they came in. And the son of the founder of the brokerage, uh, at the end of the post, turns out he is going to uh, personally match the lead that comes in off of line, the consumer that comes in off of line, with the correct agent, no matter what the split is, no matter what uh, the damage or benefit is to the brokerage itself. And so the, 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 the underlying point there that I believe, uh, I believe Mark was the, the writer, Mark Davison was the writer, the underlying point there is, hey, let's do right by the consumers. Put the consumer first. And when you go back to your discussion about national branding and how it, it pitches to the agents, how we've got the best, um, there are no, um, I don't want to say features or benefits necessarily, but there's no why to why would a consumer pick up the phone to call brokerage A as opposed to brokerage B, C, or D. Right. I, I mean, I, I, I completely agree. I mean, one of the things we talk a lot about here at Corcoran is, is um, the commoditization of listings. I mean, I think, you know, you can get listings anywhere now. Um, and, you know, the, the, the idea, I mean, especially online. So if, every, if everybody can get listings everywhere, what really is the difference between brands? And that, that really becomes very, very important when everybody can get all the information in uh, as many different places as, as possible. So, you know, then it becomes a conversation about what do you stand for? And I think that's what you mean, like what's your why, if you like. And from a seller and a buyer side. And I think that, you know, that actually becomes a very, very critical part of um, a brokerage's business model is, is how do we get people in a sea of search results to understand that ours stands for something either of a higher quality or a better service or it means something different than these other 10 that we're sort of being filtered in with. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. In fact, I just want to amplify that the prior point about, you know, agent-centric versus consumer-centric because I think that is just a critical point. And, again, trying to look at it from the perspective of a consumer myself, well, how would I react to that? And I, I'm just amazed when I go to the websites of some of the big brands and, and I see that they have right there for anyone to find that we are an agent. This is a quote. We are an agent-centric brand, and there's a whole list of reasons why that brand stands for the agent. It's there for the agent and all that. And, Matthew, I don't know if you remember this or not. I'm guessing you will remember this. When we were in New York on stage, at one point, you know, we had a third participant, and she said that, she, this is a quote, she said, our agents are our clients. Do you remember that? Uh, I do, and I remember disagreeing with her. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I had to, I all but jumped out of my chair, and I said straight up, I totally disagree with that. You know, my view is that uh, our our you know our clients are our clients and perhaps our agents stand on equal footing but the worst case for the consumer is that they're at least as important as our agents and i just you know the fact that that person said that so plainly and so matter of factly and you know i just know from talking with a lot of people and from observing how other companies behave particularly in social media and seeing that either they're clearly pitching their message to agents or they're bragging about their sales and the number of agents and all that kind of thing, which I'm not saying that, that doesn't, that's not indicative of some level of success. Obviously it is. I'm just saying I don't think that's the message I want to be putting out, even if I could. And I'll tell you what impresses me the most about you, Matthew, um, other than just the fact that I met you, is I watch what you do on Twitter every day. And you are representing your brand really well and you're you're doing it in a way that is very consistent with the philosophies that we have in terms of you know you you're constantly talking about food for example and we don't talk about food at all 
but you're 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 um, differentiating yourself because you're doing that. And as a result, I'm constantly clicking on links that you put out because I'm just curious. And I think that's exactly what you're trying to do is make people curious about what you're tweeting about and also the fact that you're not just, you know, regurgitating all these stats about look at all the sales we have and look at all the agents we have or whatever whatever other traditional message you might be putting out. So I just wanted to tip my hat to you because I think you're doing it right. Right. That, that's awesome to hear, Mike. Thank, thanks so much. I mean, you know, I, I, people often ask me, like, like what, what our strategy is. And, and honestly, I, I don't think we've ever actually sat down and had a meeting about social media here. Um, we don't really have a strategy. I, I, like, I like waking up in the morning not knowing what we're going to post um, and, and being reactive that way. Um, and, you know, all that we really do is reflect what life is like here. Um, our, our sort of philosophy, if you like, is to, is to simply hold, hold a mirror up to what life is like here in New York. So, you know, New Yorkers are very, very passionate about two things in particular, food and real estate. And um, our, you know, Facebook page, for example, is, is really a great intersection of those two things. Now, we might do sports, for example. Like, we have a big sports story for uh, Carmelo here uh, today, joining the Knicks. Uh, and, you know, that might be something that we put out. Or, um, you know, what shopping, nightlife, things to do around, uh, around the city. Like, yesterday, for example, like, we, we ran a, a, an all-day quiz for presidential history in and around New York. And, you know, it was a lot of fun. It was very timely. And, um, you know, it was great to see people's kind of responses to the kind of quiz questions that we we're asking. But none of that is, is an agent-centric conversation. That's entirely yep. client-focused. Yep. Um, so, you know, we actually don't, you know, in that, in that kind of marketing context, there really is no tremendous benefit for us to brag about our sales statistics or, you know, our audience isn't other agents in, in that sense. It's, um, it's people interested in living in New York, moving within New York, or moving to New York. And, and trying to sort of own the city from that perspective is a, is a massive undertaking, but it's so much fun. Uh, and, you know, if that's your marketing initiative, that sounds like a pretty strong one to me, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, not only that, but, you know, it's oh, – I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Um, the, oh, I know what I was going to say is you get up in the morning, you don't know what you're necessarily going to be, you know, social media-ing about that day. I tell people all the time because, you know, one of the things that a lot of people who – a lot of uh, real estate professionals who want to get into social media, they, they, they frequently say something like this. Well, I don't know what to tweet about. I have no idea what to blog about. I have no idea what to Facebook about. And I think it's so much easier than people make it because rather than just being themselves and interacting with what they see, I mean, if you analyze what I put out in social media, I would be willing to bet you that 80% of it is reacting to something somebody else said. All I'm doing is... You know, I develop a relationship with people over time, and they put out something, and I just say, like, hey, that was a cool link, Matthew, or I totally yeah. disagree with that, Matthew, or whatever. You just start the conversation, and that, you know, I'm, I'm always confused by people who, who seem to suggest that this is difficult because in my mind, you know, if you can't talk to people, I mean, at the essence of it, all we're doing is talking to people. If you can't talk to people, you probably shouldn't be selling real estate. I mean, that's just the way I feel. You have to communicate to do the job. So if you can communicate with a person face-to-face across a a table over a cup of coffee, it seems to me you should be able to do social media. Would you agree with that philosophy or not? Um, Yeah, I do. I mean, I I, I think that uh, that, uh, folks within real estate are essentially in the relationship business. And whether it's social media or, or uh, you know, any other form of online presence, all you're really doing is growing relationships digitally. And, you know, as more and more people spend more time um, online how, in whatever form, um, you know, it, it, seems to be, it seems to me to be a very natural transition to, to grow relationships in in this uh, in this other place, and I think I think in many ways it's what it's what realtors have always done. 
It's just, um, you know, in a different form. Yep. It's a different medium. Yeah, and also, yeah, and and I know that, you know, this question always comes up, and I don't want to waste any time talking about it now, really, unless you do, Matthew, but, you know, this whole conversation about what's the ROI of social media, I would argue that, I mean, at its core, it simply can't be measured. I mean, you'll never know how many people you impacted, and you'll never know that, you know, somebody that you had a very brief exchange with on Twitter today might end up buying a a $5 million apartment in New York with Corcoran Group 18 months from now because they just remember that they had a nice interaction with you. You'll never be able to measure that. But, But I think that when you look around and you look at all the obvious trends about Facebook usage and Twitter usage and all that, to me it's just a no brainer. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of people trying to quantify um, the results of social media, whether that's you know Facebook Insights, Google Analytics, things like clout. Um, there's there's a lot of attempts to to measure it, and you know I, I agree with you. It's very very difficult to measure your relationship with someone um, because you know at its core. There's there's no algorithm for how you feel about something, and yep. um, you know I think you know real estate is actually one of those um, emotionally driven industries um, because I think you know in many ways the purchase of a home is an emotional one, um, just as much if not more than than being a financial one. Um, you know certainly like when I was looking at, at, at homes to purchase. You could tell if it felt right as soon as you walked through the door, and and you know that's a stronger that's a stronger driver of a purchase than whether the price feels right. I think it's like can I picture myself here? Can I you know do I see myself and my family in this apartment, for example? Now it's not to say that the finances aren't important. Of course they're they're crucially important, but you know I think that. You know, trying to measure the specific emotional kind of quotient of of how you feel about something or what your relationship is is a really difficult thing. It's like you know, it's it's like trying to remember the first time you had a coke. Like you 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 don't know why you like coke, but you just you know you're either like a coke or a Pepsi person. Um, and and you know, what's the ROI of my relationship with coke? Well, I I don't know, but I know that I like it. Um, does it, does it, I hope that makes sense, but it's just—it's a really, really difficult thing to measure. But because it's online, and because so many things online are measurable, um, and that's been one of the big sort of selling points of online, especially versus print, for example, um, because of its extreme measurability. When it comes to social media, there's lots of attempts to do the same thing. Um, but it's a really, really difficult thing to do because you're trying to quantify, um, you know, sort of nebulous emotions, and it's and it's you know it's almost impossible because it changes all the time as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In fact, I'm curious, you know, given given what you do for a living, um, how is your performance measured? Is that an issue that you contend with as you do your job in terms of reporting to whomever you report to? Mm-hmm. Or do they just sort of give you a carte blanche and trust your expertise and let you go and trust that, you know, you're doing the right things to create the right results? I've always wondered about that whenever I speak to anybody that has a job that has the word social media anywhere near it. Sure. I mean, social media is, is, is very simply put, just one of the things that I do here at Corcoran. But that's not to say that it, that we don't have measurable goals set around what we do. Um, you know, there's certain things from uh, just a pure footprint and exposure base that we look at, you know, trying to grow our audience by, you know, X percent annually, whether that's, you know, followers on Foursquare, fans on Facebook or, or whatever it is. But obviously, you know, we look at things like engagement rates. What, those, what these people are actually doing is, is one of the more important things that we look at. So, you know, it's not, it's not enough for us to have, um, you know, a massive audience. It's, I, I would rather have, you know, 10 people that are passionate evangelists of Corcoran than 10,000 people that have tuned us out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, engagement rates, 
um, are really, really key for us, especially when it comes to something like Facebook. Like how people are sharing our content is a really interesting statistic. Um, but for us, it's 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 almost like a like like that customer service thing that I was talking about with agents. It's just a way for us to listen to people, and I'm not sure that you can really kind of quantify that. You know, it's like tell us tell us what you think you might be interested in, and how we can help you with that. I, I'm not sure if you can measure ROI on something like that. Um, it's it's you know you either do help them or you don't help them or you you know you sort of help them I guess. Um, but for us, it's, it's a chance to meet interesting people. It's a chance for us to share um, what we believe to be interesting and fun content. And, you know, there's, like I said before, there's, there's, there's measurable goals set around it. And, you know, th- you know, I'm happy to say that those goals are actually translating into, into business, which is, which is a fantastic thing to see. But it's more about um, marketing and brand exposure for us right now. Than, than actual lead gen, although although both happen. Interesting. And, you know, this is um, not to shift gears too horribly here, but it just occurred to me. Um, what's your policy or do you have a policy regarding social media usage by your agents? Because, like, in your case, you know, you have you are the guy that runs, you know, and my, my focus is primarily Twitter. That's where I spend most of my time, as I think you know. Um, you know, I watch what you do, and that's exclusively Matthew Shadbolt, right? Yes. Okay, so so that being said, do you have specific policies in place for your other agents, and, and do you have other agents who are active in Twitter? Do you monitor what they do? Do you have a policy? Just Just respond in general to that line of thought. Yeah, I mean, we have many, many agents that uh, that use social media here at Corcoran, um, and um, you know, with a broad spectrum of success um, in terms of you know what they deem to be successful or what we d- would deem to be successful. Um, in general, uh, there are a set of guidelines that we have established for you know agent use of social media, um, and it's things that you know govern govern the use of you know fair housing policies and, and sort of anti-discrimination things and, and uh, things of that nature to, um, you know, to really get them buttoned up in terms of what they're saying, uh, which is obviously very, very important, not only for them, but also for Corcoran. Uh, so there's actually the sort of legal aspect of, of, of using these things, um, which is very, very critical. But also, you know, to, um, to, we have substantial uh, education programs for should I even be doing this kind of uh, the that kind of perspective, um, because for many I think it's very uncharted territory. Um, I think there's I, I I this is something that you and I have spoken about a lot. I hear the word should a lot um, directed at agents. Um, you know you should be on Twitter. You should be doing Foursquare or you know your your business is dead in three years if you're not on Facebook because that's where everyone is. I mean things like that. And it can get a bit silly if you already have a, a you know a very successful um, offline business, for example. It, it can be very confusing and very um, sort of mis, mis, misguiding for for people to to have that kind of advice given to them. I think so. Um, sure. I mean, there are, there are definitely policies set around you know corporate agents' use of of it, as there are policies set around the use of what I do, but. Um, education is a really, really big factor of what we do here. Um, even just sort of knowing about what is possible and and using a problem-solving approach to build it into how to grow your business. So not just doing it for the sake of doing it, but actually doing it with it, with some kind of purpose and goal in mind. Yeah, I think that's really well said. The only, I guess, the only place where I would, and I don't even want to say differ with you because that's too strong. Um, but, you know, I have this feeling, and perhaps I'm doing exactly what you're <laughs> accusing others of doing, but I, I truly believe this in my heart, that the way that our culture is shifting towards social media, that I do fear for the agent who wants to completely ignore the trend. That's not to suggest that they still can't be successful using the traditional, you know, uh, methods that are that are entirely offline. But whether yeah. we're talking two years okay. from now or five years from now or ten years from now because, you know, nobody really knows that. But I do think at some point if you don't have any, 
experience in or a familiarity with or have made no efforts towards social media. At, at some point, I think that will uh, hurt an agent's business, and that's all I'll say about that. Otherwise, I completely agree with you. And I'm also uh, uh, keeping along the same trend of thought that you were you were going down there. And I'm always disappointed when I see uh, people who are supposed social media gurus who are dispensing <laughs> what I what I know to be bad advice. And not only that, but just you know, uh, this this whole arena is so dynamic and so quickly changing that it, it's my honest opinion there are no experts. And anybody who holds themselves out as such is really you know, that's somebody I'm not going to listen to right from the start. And, and yeah, do you agree I, with that? Well, I totally agree. I mean, uh, I've lost count of the amount of, 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 of Jedis, rock stars, evangelists. I mean, I had a guy give me his business card, and it said sales assassin on it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, <laughs> I said to him, I was like, it's, it's a typo, right? Is it, is it supposed to be sales association? And he said, no. I was like, okay. <laughs> I wow. mean, you know, it, it, it's really not helpful, I, I think, in in the long term. And, and sort of self-appointed, um, you know, social media Jedis or ninjas or, or whatever it is, I, I, I think. I, 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 tend to, I, I don't know if it's the New Yorker in me, but I, I, we don't have much patience for that here. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think, you know, there's, there's, there's a... Tr- a tr- you know, in all seriousness, that there's a tremendous amount of information being thrown at the agent community in general about these kinds of things, um, whether it's in the press or a one-on-one or, or, or conversations over dinner or, or just simply cold calling. Um, that is very frightening and, t- and intimidating for a lot of folks. Um, you know, I, I think as an industry, we're still not entirely there um, just with with being online, let alone anything more totally complex, agree. Like, like social. I mean, I, I, you know, it's 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 a very common story to, you know, to hear of agents that don't have any kind of handheld device, for example, or agents that print out emails to read them. Um, uh, it's 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 a, it, you know, in in many in many regards, we're not there yet. And, you know, my role is to is to guide you know, those kind of folks along in the conversation about how to transition their business to, to really where people are, um, where people were. Well, it's interesting, too, what you just said there about um, the fact that many in our industry really haven't even, you know, caught up to the curve in terms of basic Internet strategy and SEO and, you know, having a, a decent website and, lead you know, lead to creation and capture and all that. And I guess that's that sort of reinforces the point I was trying to make a minute ago about, you know, I do believe that people need to do something regarding social media only because I see the technology, and I'm, when I say technology, I'm lumping, you know, traditional Internet SEO, that kind of thing, with social media. I yeah. see that trend. It's it's ramping up fast enough, and the metrics that I look at, and I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not a, an expert on these things. It's just a part of its intuition, part of it's just common sense, but I just see the trend ramping up and becoming steeper and steeper, and I just fear for the people who are still haven't even caught up on the web stuff, the basic web stuff, and so that yeah. sort of is fueling my overall philosophy on this, which is, come on, people, get in the game, because I, you know, we believe at, at Professional One, this drives so much of what we do, this thought, and the thought is, we see a digital divide coming, and again, I don't know if it's in a year or two or five or ten, but it's going to happen, I truly believe, where the agents who don't have a certain level of sophistication and understanding or at least are not in position to pay somebody to do that for them are going to be left behind. I see a concentration of the industry in a smaller and smaller group who are becoming greater and greater in terms of their tech savviness. And I know you know Chris Smith and what he's doing with Tech Savvy Agent um, you know, that's been sort of a microcosm for me to observe in terms of what he's done, and he's done a phenomenal job in, in seeing the reaction of, you know, a, of a percentage of the agent population, et cetera. I just, it's just, again, thrown gasoline on the fire of that thought for me. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily disagree with you there. I mean, I think that, you know, we're under no illusions that the 
the digital aspect of business here at Corcoran is, is very much in the minority. 70% um, of Corcoran's business is still, you know, offline referrals. And I think that that's an important statistic to consider when, when we're having this kind of conversation. I do think that, um, you know, what you're talking about is really social blending with or becoming search. And I think that, you know, if people truly start to find things on the Internet through their friends or through their networks, if you like, then um, essentially the Google model goes away, um, which is a, that's a terrifying shift for some people, I think. Because, um, you know, if you, if you find things through recommendations, or if you, I mean, this is how the real world works, right? You ask, you know, should I go and see this movie tonight? And your friend tells you no. But the TV and the advertising says yes. So which one do you believe? You usually believe your friend, I think. So yep. if search starts to become social, in, and, and I see, you see sort of like Google wrestling with this, and you also see Facebook wrestling with it, and, and obviously the two organizations are kind of button up against each other right now. Um, yep. But real estate is right in the middle of that whole conversation, I think. So it, it's going to be very, very interesting to see what happens there. Um, you know, I believe that the person doing real estate searches needs a lot of help, um, especially in terms of trying to find an agent to work with. Because usually what you get when you go to, like, find an agent kind of pages is a gallery of headshots. There's no, no way of being able to find an agent, I think. Oh, and you totally agree. And you know, Matthew. And you know, Matthew. To go down that line with you, I had the opportunity a few years ago to um, counsel someone, basically, who was considering entering the real estate business. Uh, and this person did uh, is an agent uh, a couple of towns north of us here, actually. And um, this person um, started clean, fresh book of business, literally fresh book of business, as in knew nobody when they were here. And um, just uh, working with them uh, last year, ch chatting with them. Uh, they said to me, Todd, it took me two years, two years of online involvement to go from no contacts to an actual God-honest physical closing as an agent to somebody that I had met, yeah. connected with, and closed as a result of working with via social networking. And it was really interesting to have that blank slate, if you will, um, that blank example that said, I have no book of business, I started doing this, and two years later, this is what happened. Now, yeah. not to say that it took them two years to close something, they, they did have connections and referrals and stuff like that in between, but that's a pretty good indicator there of, and, and I found this to be true when I started out in the business myself, never mind using social media, but just myself. It took about two years till a good head of steam got uh, picked up and referrals started coming in from friends and family, that kind of thing. Yeah, we, we totally agree. I mean, we started social me our social media efforts about two and a half years ago, um, first with a Twitter account, and then mm -hmm. about, six, about six months after that, we started on Facebook. And, I mean, we see a very similar kind of time frame. It took us about two years to reach the kind of point of critical mass with it. There it is. Yeah, and Matthew, we're 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 just burning through this hour. We're literally down to a little over two minutes left, and I still have a whole list of questions. I, I I have a whole list of questions that I wanted to ask you that we're not going to get to, unfortunately, and I apologize for that. But I we always like to leave a little bit of time at the end for our guests to say anything they want to say. Uh, if you don't have anything you want to say, that's cool. We can move on to the next question. But if you, you know, this is your your chance to just sort of uh, riff however you like for the next uh, two minutes ish. <laughs> okay, no pressure, right? Uh, I mean, one of the things that I think you know we haven't spoken about today is that is uh, how important mobile technology is to uh, to everything that we're talking about. Um, you know, I think that. If you're in a what's nearby kind of industry, I think the phone, uh, the smartphone, or you know anything that has GPS in it, it becomes a really, really important tool for how people find things. And if we're, you know, if we're talking about blending mobile, social, and search together, that happens on the phone. That doesn't really happen on the desktop computer. So what is in people's hands? I mean, this is, this is actually more of an acute issue in cities, I think. But what is in people's hands as they are, you know, walking around, for example, becomes a very, very critical place to be. 
Um, and you know that's that's been a lot of our focus here at Corcoran. And and you know as as the future unfolds here, we're very interested to see how those kind of things um, converge. Whether it's the desktop with the phone or the car with the phone, we're very interested to see how real, what real estate play real estate play is going to be with things like cars, um, televisions, things like that. I think you know if anybody's following what Howard Stern is doing on Twitter, I think that's a really really interesting way to use Twitter and TV. Um, and and you know. One of the things people forget with all this stuff is that it's such an exciting time to be doing all of this. We are right oh, at yeah. the beginning of all of this stuff. And, you know, if you are right involved with all of this stuff, I mean, it's so new. You know, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, they're all, you know, kind of like less than 10 years old, all of these things. And, you know, it's really, really and it's such an exciting point in our industry's history that it seems to make a lot of sense to me to embrace it. Totally agree. And we are uh, we are unfortunately out of time. In fact, we're now off the air. But <laughs> Matthew, so much. Thank you so much for being on the show. You were an outstanding guest, as I knew you would be. We really appreciate your time and your insight. Very smart guy. And we look forward to um, to furthering and continuing our relationship in the coming years, and we wish you and the Corcoran Group all the best. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. It's uh, it's it's been such, such a lot of fun. Good chatting, Matthew. Thank you. Thank you, okay, Matthew. Guys. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. Bye bye.